You might be wondering why it's so quiet today. Well, I can tell you. Because today is one of these strange special podcast days. And if you're wondering why the other guy isn't here, and that's Jake, he's off studying. He's taking a break from talking incessantly with me. He's just being really, really busy doing studying things for his, you know, for his university and all that. And in fact, I kind of insisted that I wanted to do a solo podcast episode for you today because I just figured it would be a better thing to introduce probably myself, maybe, maybe get, 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 getting to know you, getting to know all about you, you know, in that kind of a way in this case would be myself. So here I am by myself uh, uh, talking to myself. And that, that's, that probably may not be chaos theory. And here I am talking to you in a different microphone as well. It's, uh, it's quite the marvel. We have different microphone setups in our high-tech studio. And in this case, I'm using a condenser microphone, the one that I use to record many things and talk to people online because that's the one that's nearest to my desk and uh, the one that I enjoy using the most. The other ones that we use are Shure, I can't forget the name of the thing, it's like 700 something or other, but uh, right now all you get is me talking to myself and probably stammering a little bit. So if you'll forgive that, you'll probably have some insightful things that I might be talking to you about without having to depend on Jake's very fluent and very... uh, calm and toned down nature as opposed to my own when I usually feel like when we do those things together I have to be energetic and hey Jake what's going on what's happening so this time it's just (laughs) gonna be me uh in Ian Malcolm fashion I said the same thing I'm gonna say it again talking to myself so there you go hello um but in this case I brought uh Fragments of my own imagination and personality to keep me company. And, uh, oh! Oh, hello, John. Hello, hello, John. Hello. Hello, John. hello. Yes, uh, so, hey, Phil, how's it going? Well, not too bad. Uh, <laughs> I'm just yeah. sitting here relaxing. Uh, oh, are you? Having a wonderful time talking mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, it could, uh, it can get quite mesmerizing. And, uh, got a nice little drink with me, too. Hmm. So let's begin here. Phil, what do you think of this Phil-on-Phil sort of Talk. Well, I haven't done that um, often. <laughs> yeah, I know. And um, I hope to shed some light on the situation. So anyway, I'm Phil, Phil Dragish. Here I am. And uh, most of you probably know me of doing sort of artistic things in and around Facebook and, you know, sort of sharing stuff online, which cave-dwelling trolls such as myself do. People refer to me as probably an artist, I guess you could say that I am, and um, I guess that's what I could call myself, and in recent days I've not been doing what I would primarily want to do, which is uh, filmmaking, and I would like to call myself a filmmaker, and that would be the most amazing thing for me to do, but unfortunately I can't, because since 2009 or even 2008 and if you want to get really technical 2006 i haven't done anything that um that big when it comes to making films of my own which is kind of sad to be honest especially since someone like me and i really want to do my primary function of course 
happens to be film directing. And I really don't like talking about being a director because listen to how that sounds. It sounds pretty pretentious. <laughs> right? Yeah, too. exactly. Like it just sounds really uh -huh. pretentious and makes me feel like I'm going to sail this ship and I'm going to <laughs> give you visions of faraway lands That's and right. great stories. And I will manage all the minions that work for me and I will become the master of all that you foresee in an artistic merit and in a filmmaking collective. Yeah, I get that. So, yeah. That's why most of the time I don't really talk to myself as such. And also because, of course, as I just recently stated because right now, I just keep saying the same thing. The stating okay. just a few minutes ago, it's, it's a little bit difficult for me to say that because I just haven't done anything right now. The only thing I've done recently uh, when it came to filmmaking is... and. To be honest, I do a lot of that all the time. I always watch videos behind the scenes. I love behind the scenes uh, footage and documentaries and stuff, especially the ones that give out more information than they do to give out, you know, emotions or have a story to it. Even though, of course, as of all life, there's stories everywhere and you always hear people and stories is just a, a fundamental thing that happens in everyday life and throughout human history has always been like this that sounds really stupid and pretentious so i'm gonna digress a little bit that's okay with you sure, yeah. so um and when i'm talking about making films and doing that myself right now it's usually that i always do secret projects they never go over in a, a conceptual level so far so all these years since 2008 i could say uh, i've been working a lot on uh, story treatments, on conceptual uh, filmmaking theories and creative ideas that I'm just sort of hoarding for myself right now. It's just because I don't have any means of, you know, to outlet, to put it out. Especially since, I'm not going to go into detail on this, but uh, most of the projects that I'm always thinking about and always working on, you know, on my during my time here is that they're they're really you could say they might be a little pretentious in a way but i just feel like but there's a lot of things you know that goes in rotation in my mind um what i would probably say is you know as many filmmakers and of course and it's been famously quoted that you know like francis ford coppola who was another director who most of you probably know about he told george lucas one time way back when they were in zoetrope american zoetrope which I think is still ongoing as a studio and production house, you know, you're not a true filmmaker unless you write your own stories and you write your own scripts. See, that's the thing about me. Like, I'm usually a more visually oriented sort of person. I'm thinking about tone and theme and how to actually tell a story. So when you're talking about storytelling, especially with me, we're going to go on a level that is the literal sort of way you would phrase that story telling i'm going to tell a story as opposed to you know making a story which would be writing and thinking up story thinking up characters for me the main thing when it comes to filmmaking is that i feel like my strength lies a lot more in executing that story the easiest thing for me would obviously be someone comes in has a script please let me read the script or let me read the story treatment or beat outline or whatever you have and i would read this go over it and if it strikes my interest if i like it i would be 100 dedicated to trying to get this better to trying to get this work to be collaborative and you know all that wonderful stuff that goes with it so it's interesting to actually talk about this because it's kind of a dichotomy because like i'm usually 
kind of introverted. I don't really talk too much to other people. But um, but when it comes to filmmaking, I would love to be more collaborative, love to talk to people more about things. And, you know, especially if you try to get all the egos out of there, it would be so pleasant. And I think that's the biggest joy that I can see on a creative standpoint and process. So that's why I always feel like whenever I talk about myself, when I'm saying the terminology would be that I like to do directing, it really is like sort of the biggest strength that I feel that I have because I've always been interested in drawing. As you all know, I do artwork and, you know, trying to keep getting better at that. And also I love doing sound, you know, sound design. I'm sure some of you people have seen some of the little sound mixes I've done. Recently, me and Jacob have been doing a few just for fun, just uh, taking a clip from a famous movie or whatever and uh, putting it on mute and adding our own actual sound effects. So that would mean, you know, like Foley, as you probably know, named after Jack Foley in the early 1900s when film was rising up into sound and all that. He sort of invented, or I would say sort of became the most famous person to have introduced the art of uh, recording sounds for the picture that was moving. Whatever you can in front of the microphone inside a studio, such as, you know, clothing, me drinking, that sort of stuff. Okay, that's really boring. Could we just keep talking about something else? Yeah, okay, sure. Um... Just, I just want to make this real quick, okay? Uh-huh. Just, just hold on. Okay, okay I'm I, holding on. Yeah, just, just let me do yep. this really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, when I'm talking about making films, it's always going to be on that sort of visual audio. That's sort of the whole thing when it comes to executing the story. Now, that's not to say that I don't, in my opinion, you know, I'm not going to say that I, I know all there is to know about this, but I'm just going to say that I really also believe that I, I'm... You know, I'm not too bad at, you know, judging a story. And that's why whenever we have these reviews on our podcast, we always keep scrutinizing most of the, <laughs> the things that the filmmakers have. We felt that could have been better. You know, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, as we all know. But uh, as it stands, I just want to put a little disclaimer here whenever we're talking about uh, whenever we do reviews. Um, I am very aware that when we do reviews on movies that are coming out or movies that we like, for example, like when we did the Marvel marathon of all the Marvel movies, um, there were many times when we said, for example, like, oh, yeah, this movie sucked and this was terrible. Um, and, I, and I'm very aware that whenever we say something like that sporadically, it might sound that we are uh, criticizing the people or the, 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 the passion if they had any on those projects, but I really want to make it clear that um, that is, it's really not the case um, when it comes to that. Like, I and Jake, when we talk about movies and we talk about their flaws, it's not that we're doing that on a, (laughs) we're better than them, we know exactly what was going on. It's it's nothing like that, really. I mean, it's more um, just sort of making our critical eye, you know, sharper and learning to what we feel are flaws that might entail a film. And we know that there's so many people working on these things, you know, I mean, like, especially now, there's so many man hours being put into these big giant blockbusters. And of course, you know, let alone the indie scene, you know, where the smaller production companies, and we really don't mean to sound bad. We just like doing that on like a sort of entertainment thing. Like it's, it's, it's kind of funnier sometimes when you say, oh yeah, this guy, or like, you know, I know we sort of jabbed a few guys in the face, for example, Brett Ratner, or let's say Michael Bay. And, um, 
to be honest, in all seriousness, like I really don't have anything against the people that are working on this. Brett Ratner, Michael Bay, Uebol, all these people that you probably wouldn't like, or I don't like, I don't like the work of. I really don't feel like, and even though I'm aware that, you know, when someone makes something, an artistic project, usually, you know, their heart and soul goes into these things. Now, I can't, uh, I can't say for everybody who's working on these films, but we know that it is an emotional thing. Like, I'm very aware that making films is a hugely emotional process, as any artistic process is. That's the whole, really, that's like the whole thing about art. It's mostly emotion. It's all, that's all it is about, what, the, what you feel, what you see, all these senses in the human body, <laughs> the human soul. So when we say stuff like that, for example, like J.J. Abrams, like I've been saying so many times about the thing with the shaky cam and the lens flares and, you know, the J.J. Abrams influence. But we know that this is sort of the styles that they are hooked on. Or I don't want to say hooked on. That sounds like some crazy cocaine addict. But I mean, like, like the things that they are that they're used to, that this sort of their sort of flavor that they give to a film. We don't mean anything bad about it. You know, like J.J. Abrams, he does what he does and that's what he does. And it's there, it exists, and it's been lauded and hailed and all that stuff, and that's completely fine. There's nothing that I'm saying against that. And I'm sure they're really cool people, and I would love to meet them and all that kind of stuff. But I'm really just saying, I just want to apologize if I've said anything wrong, and we will definitely... <laughs> it's just a bit of fun, Gandalf. And I don't, I don't know how to say it otherwise. I mean... They all have their voices, and some of them, I might feel, are a little bit derivative. And I'm not saying about J.J. Abrams again. No, it's not that. <laughs> and I might probably, you know, personally think that uh, some of them are going into the modern movie trend and stuff like that that I keep going on and on about. But it's just that I wish there was a way that we could just be a little bit more, you know, brutally honest about something. And not for people to take it so personally. And I understand as an artistic medium, there's a lot that you do take personally when you're making a film. And, uh, you know, it, it's such a complicated thing to say. But all in all, what everybody is doing out there in the, in the film industry is great. I mean, look at, look at how it's working. Everybody's watching movies. Everybody's having a good time and it's entertaining and all that. So... It's just sort of that personal thing that you want to assess, especially me, because I want to, you know, keep my own uh, artistic preferences sort of uh, sharpened so I can eventually, if I'll be able to, do my own thing and, uh, and be able to express it in a different way, in a way that I think is a probably a better idea, but, you know, of course, in, in art there's no such thing as that. It's all about perspective and all about perception. So All I think right, that that's okay, let's it. change it. Change the topic. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. I'll, I'll let's continue. Okay. So continue. hey, I'm Phil. I you know, I draw, I do all that kind of stuff. I was talking a little bit about movies and about criticism, and I don't think I've actually made much sense about it, and I'll sound really stupid, but let's continue. Yeah, so uh, as a kid, as a child living in the nineties and the early nineties, since I was born in eighty-nine I, uh, you know, got exposed to a lot of different films, and I can't tell you exactly when I decided I wanted to be a filmmaker, because I know everybody else has their stories, but it just sort of became a developmental thing, because in the beginning, you know, I used to draw as a, as a child, as a small youngling that didn't get killed, 
I drew dinosaurs a lot. I drew all kinds of little, 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 little sketches that I still actually have um, from 1992 onwards. And, and I never really stopped, although I remember there was one time during, you know, 2005 where I felt like I was reaching a sort of artistic plateau. And when I was in 2005, I was 16. So, uh, yeah, there wasn't much uh, development going on until... Our cousin, Tim, who has been in our podcast a few times already, I noticed he was drawing a little bit better than me, especially girls. Wow, wow, why wasn't I good at drawing girls? So, after that, I decided to bite the bullet, as it were, and uh, keep on trucking. Just keep doing the artwork thing. So I was just doing the artwork thing, especially since I always felt that that would easily help when you're making a film, when you're eventually going to do that. Right, right, so, yes. Well, it sort of started when I had the idea of getting a video camera. And this was sometime in 1997 or 1996. I was always bugging my parents to, you know, I hope we can get a video camera, then I can make movies. We can bring all my friends from school. And at this time, I was from 1993 to 1998, I was in uh, primary school. I think that's what you call it. I don't remember if that's the English terminology or the American but elementary school, you know, first to fourth grade, I was in Austria. Um, so I can, in fact, speak German. But I don't think it would be a very good idea for me to start speaking German, even though I really have a big theory about that, is that if you if you know how to how to actually speak it, then you can re just put in your German accent when you want to talk German and then talk English. And then you can have a, which I think is probably a very... Uh, a quite uh, quite authentic German accent, but you know, like a very natural, natural, natural accent. Okay, I, ich kann ein bisschen Deutsch reden. Es geht doch nicht so gut, aber es wäre besser, dass ich nicht Deutsch rede, weil uh, für mich ist es in heutigen Tagen habe ich nicht Deutsch so viel uh, gesprochen und uh, mein mein Deutsch geht so so langsam. Also ich kann nicht so gut uh, Deutsch reden. But yeah, since uh, our high-tech studio, even though it's located in Chicago, we always have to go back to Croatia. And so when we're in Croatia, since, you know, my dad is Croatian, um, I'm also able to speak uh, Croatian. And I don't think I'm going to talk. You're going to have to do a little bit. Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have to do a little bit, man. Sounds Russian. Yeah, it sounds like Russian, yeah. Oh, boy. It's the same, it's Slavic, it's coming from the same sort of source, obviously. It's not Germanic. So, yeah, those are the only language I can do. Um, I don't know if I'm fluent or not with them. I mean, I can, I can, it's conversational, whatever. I've, I've learned it, I've been around with it. So anyway, sorry about this. Uh, the story, the story goes that I've been at home and, you know, as a kid living in Austria in the early 90s and occasionally going, you know, to the United States, you know, where I was born, because I'm an American citizen, buddy. Um, I wanted to get my German friends, you know, uh, prepared in case we were going to make a film. And the funny thing was that back in the day, 1997, I think it was, or 8, we were really close to getting a video camera. You know, my dad was going to get a video camera. I don't know what kind it was going to be, but this was this was at the tipping point of digital handy cams. So uh, I think it was like DV 
was sort of the the main thing sometime in 1998-ish. And in preparation for that, I was telling my friends, you know, we're going to make these movies. We're going to make a crime movie. I can remember vividly that we wanted to make a crime movie. Like, it's called The Mafia. And I was making posters with marker on A4 paper because that's the standard in Europe as opposed to letter size in America. So I was making these little drawings, and I was uh, I was doing full-color posters on A4 paper on the future movies that we're going to make together. And one of them was a Star Wars spinoff. Haha, <laughs> you see that? We're, we're way ahead of the curve here. And another one was going to be Lost World, Jurassic Park 3. Yeah, I don't know why I kept going with Lost World, but, you know, uh, as a kid, you always think that the most recent movie is the best. Which is interesting, because when Batman and Robin came out, as opposed to Batman Forever, which I remember all that uh, 1995 marketing that was going on with the action figures and everything, and I and I was so in love with that Batman logo and the Riddler question mark in the middle. I remember, like, I really liked that purple and green and then that sleekness of the design back in 1995. And so when Batman and Robin came out, now I'm not talking about the movies, I'm just talking about my perception when I was a kid, I thought that Batman and Robin, the George Clooney Batman, was the Batman. Because he was the most recent one. So my little eight-year-old mind just said, this is the newest one, and I'm glad that he's the new Batman. So with that in mind, I thought Lost World was going to be, you know, the next Jurassic Park. It's going to be Lost World 2, because it's Lost World. It's, 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 it's more advanced than Jurassic Park. So I made that kind of a poster. I wish I still had them. I have all these little sketches when I was a kid, when I were watching Disney movies in 1994, 1993. I was drawing Beauty and the Beast. I was drawing Pocahontas in 95. I was drawing Lion King, which was a huge thing when I was when I was five and the movie came out. I still remember being in a cinema and watching that. I remember the whole, uh, the circle of life and the whole thing. In the- At the end of the montage when Simba's shown up there and it's like, circle of life. <laughs> and then the movie fades in and you have that little African kangaroo mouse or whatever it is scuttling along in this close-up down there. And it was all quiet and then Scar's paw comes down and... <laughs> And I can still remember being in a theater and seeing everybody else, you know, in front of me in the, in the, in the hallway, jumping up in, in, in shock and stuff. There's another funny story about that. I'm sorry, I'm just, this is how I talk. I just keep opening these doors into these smaller rooms and I never go back to the main point, which is me making little movie posters. But there's another funny little thing that happened in 1993. I cried at the weirdest things during movies. Jurassic Park came out. Uh, I watched it at the Dollar Theater, I think it was. So I think it was a little bit later than the actual release date of Jurassic Park, because, of course, as a four-year-old, your parents don't want you to watch these sorts of things with dismemberment and complex DNA sampling and cloning. I remember at the very end of the film, there was Alan Grant in the helicopter. I'm sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen Jurassic Park. If you haven't, what are you doing? You should. There's Alan, after surviving the harshness of the park, surviving for a whole night and a day, finally getting back into the helicopter, rescued with John Hammond and Ian Malcolm and Ellie Sattler and the kids. They're all going away, and that wonderful John Williams music comes in. Dun, 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 dun. And then he looks out as the helicopter is flying away from the island and over the ocean towards Costa Rica, which is funny because the direction they're going in is where the sun is setting, so they're actually going away into the Pacific instead of going back to Costa Rica, which is a little bit of a blooper. Alan Grant is looking at these pelicans who decided to fly a little bit with the helicopter outside in the sunset, and he looks at it and he smiles at the, at the pelicans. 
And that sort of broke me as a child because I thought that Alan Grant was going to hate on dinosaurs now. And he's, no, he doesn't like dinosaurs anymore. What's this? <laughs> and, and I actually cried in the theater watching Jurassic Park because I thought that the main protagonist stopped liking dinosaurs and is like, oh, the birds are the best thing in the world. So there you go. Four-year-old crying his heart out because of this this one little scene that didn't really make any difference. And the same thing happened in 95 when I watched Casper. Casper turned into a human. I hated it. I cried. My dad had to take me out of the theater. I think one of the uh, employees were like, well, why is he crying? No, don't worry. Go back in. Go back inside. He, he, he turns back. And I'm like, yeah, why did he turn back? And then we come, then I finally am able to go in, back into the theater and I see, oh, he is back as a ghost. Oh, man. See, these are the weird traumatic events I've had when I was watching films. So anyway, back to the movie posters. I wanted to make movie posters, and I did, and I wanted to make these movies, and I had in my head already, like, I want, I knew what we were going to do. I had this, we used to collect these little Star Wars Micro Machines models, which were nice, decently sized uh, uh, little toys to play with, with uh, that are, you know, Star Wars uh, battleships and all that, like, you know, the X-Wings and TIE Fighters. I had an AT-AT, all-terrain armored transport from Empire Strikes Back, and I knew exactly, like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna put cotton over to make it look like snow, and I'm gonna take the camera, and I'm gonna make that, I'm gonna do this helicopter shot that's gonna circle around the AT-AT, and it's gonna look so cool, and we're gonna wow so many people. And I was so pumped to be making these movies with my friends, and I can still remember a few frames I had, I still have in my mind about what I want the movie to look like in my head and uh, you know of course in my head it was exactly like a film it had a backlight it had a key light it had the we were in some you know like the characters that I wanted in there which my friends would be playing they would be having these guns and they would be sort of like a standoff sort of thing they're all pointing guns at each other one of them is being kind of flirtatious one of the at one of the girls and I just had this whole thing in my head and the funny thing is, later on in 2000, we were in, in the United States at this time, when we finally got a video camera, a mini-DV, JVC camera, I started playing around with it, of course, and as you all know, um, the results were definitely not the same, and I, don't ha I didn't have my friends from Austria anymore, so I had to make new ones, and that's just how it goes. But, you know, after getting that video camera, I and Jake, we were just making little movies together. We didn't know anything about editing, so we used to do all the editing in camera, and it's not even what you think. You know, there's other people who actually were more clever than we were, and they actually knew how to use a VHS to sort of feed the footage into there, and then pause, and then play, and then sort of edit it that way, using cuts with the VHS to record and pause and play. We didn't even do that. We sort of, if we didn't do a good take, we would just rewind the actual tape on the video camera and then record over that. And uh, so we always were paying particular attention to trying to get the shots right the first time. At first, you know, there's a few movies that I still have that I did in 2000 with, you know, my cousin Susanna from the United States and Jake, and uh, they were really embarrassing, and I used to do the soundtrack with my mouth. So I would actually just hum the soundtrack, which we did with one movie called Patches the Wonder Dog, which you will never see. Um, because not that I don't have it, I actually do have it, it's quite well preserved, but, uh, <laughs> you ain't seen that garbage and, uh, really embarrassing, but I used to hum it with my mouth, so I used to be like, and I 
did the narration and everything. Then later on, we decided when we were doing some Star Wars fan films, we decided to, I, we had the brilliant idea of actually just using the soundtrack, putting it into a boombox and playing the music like that. Oh, so much better. We used episode one. We did a bunch of Star Wars duels. And then we had a lot of fun and we established a nice little company, quote unquote, you know, our production company called PD Works, uh, which uh, I always, you know, I'm a big fan of keeping things uh, consistent. So we kept the PD Works mantra and the name for almost a decade. I think it was nine years. So from 2000 to 2009, we just kept doing that. Later on, we we finally realized, you know, how that there was digital editing, non-linear editing. And, you know, we just kept developing from there. We made a bunch of short movies throughout PD Works's life. <laughs> and uh, it got up to like 300 short movies and music videos and commercials and all that kind of stuff we used to do. And what's funny about this is that I kind of, I like all these little projects that we did and I still think that most of them have some sort of story potential in the future so I might you know sometime down the line if fortune would be kind enough I would easily be able to pick up one of these short movies that we did as kids and just rework the story but keep the fundamental core uh, core story elements that we actually made up when we were 12 or 13 and make an actual legitimate movie out of it. I mean, it's still, it's really possible. So there's nothing that I really think that I, that we did that was pure crap, but there is definitely a lot of stuff that was garbage, but um, there's a lot of developmental stages going on with the filmmaking and everything. So throughout this process, I was always trying to figure out how to make the movies look more like a movie. So at the beginning of the whole thing in 2001, our older cousin, Stan, Yoni, we used to, we talked about him a lot. He was sort of the big mediator around and he influenced, he was, I mean, come on, he was like 20 years older than I, Jake, or Tim, who was our other cousin, of course, we all know. And, uh, you know, you can't help but be a inspirational part, especially since he was so, he still is such a creative guy. He does music, he does sound, he does web design. He's a very, very, very crazy creative person. So, he told us about, you know, 24 frames per second. And of course, our JVC camera could only go 29.976. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, 24 frames per second. And then I was looking on the internet back in 2002 and 2001, how to achieve this. And I found some crappy programs that would uh, reduce the frame rate to 24. And I thought, oh, when we do that, it will look just like it does in the cinema. So Throughout this process, we I kept learning, and you know I always loved making ofs. I remember when I was in 1997, when there was a special on the making of Jurassic Park, and I was like, "What?" And I had to watch the making of Jurassic Park, and I picked up books about making ofs, and I read, and I still read those. They're so great. I just love doing all that stuff. Ever since, it just kept going, and we just kept figuring things out on our own. And then we found out that we could finally crop aspect ratios, so we could have 2.351, which is like the what we call super widescreen, I and Jake do, to make the movie this CinemaScope, which was developed earlier on in the 1950s, I think, or even earlier, you know, for this really ultra-wide screen. So I was so amazed that I could make my movies look like The Matrix or Blade, which all had that sort of flat, like, really horizontal uh, widescreen effect, which uh, we were, we finally were able to do in 2003. By then, we had a newer camera, a Canon GL2, which was actually pretty good. We did most of our movies like that. And then I realized, <laughs> well, lighting 
plays a huge role in making these movies look like movies. So then that happened. Then I was always trying to experiment with lights. I used to go to film school in 2004 and I was able to rent a few C stands and I love C stands now and I wish I had like a dozen of them on hand because they're like the most useful thing in the world. I can't believe this. And then, and then, you know, like filters and flags and all that stuff. We were just learning it and doing all that kind of craziness. And then I realized, you know, of course the lens plays a huge part in getting that film look. So I was always trying to, with that GL2, the best way to get this shallow depth of field was to able to move as far away from the action as possible and zoom in so we can get that wonderful bokeh. Um, which is unfortunate because, you know, the GL2 has such a huge, such a deep depth of field that the only way you could achieve that sort of effect that I wanted was to zoom in very far away, which, you know, I had some problems. So, but then later on we learned and I learned that um, different zoom lengths and different ways you use the camera to tell a storytelling and language also had a dramatic effect in ways you would want to express them. So... It was just a developing process. And what I'm very proud about is that most of the things that we learned, we learned on our own by trying to do it ourselves and always trying to, you know, get the picture looking better. And I always like doing that. And I'm still learning. I mean, it's always, it's a learning process. That's what life is all about. So in that case, I also like doing photography as a hobby. I mean, I would love to do portrait photography and doing some projects with, let's say, you know, doing some more artistic projects. But, you know, I don't know anybody. <sighs> Oh, well, I mean, it's it's all good fun. And then later on, 2005 or whatever, I learned about different lenses and all that kind of stuff. So pretty well off right now. I feel I feel pretty confident in, in what I know, and I'm very happy that I got to learn it the hard way. And not only the hard way. I mean, we always watch behind the scenes, which, is, which I encourage everybody who wants to make films watch and watch a lot because they're so fun to watch. It's so great to see how these people are actually making these movies, and there's a lot to learn from there. And you don't have to go to a film school, honestly. I mean, like, that's like one of the one of the biggest outlets for learning how to make movies is those behind-the-scenes features on DVDs. And I'm very sad that, you know, recently that's been going very scarce, especially since the Frozen video release came out and they had a huge, huge... <sighs> disappointing... Disappointing... Disappointing video about behind the scenes and if you have if you own the frozen dvd you know exactly what i'm talking about anyway animation is also something that i like listening to and watching and reading about and learning about and read a bunch of books about it and all that kind of stuff it's all so fun for me and i just i just love this filmmaking stuff it's really fun storytelling is just you know that the, to be able to get you into different worlds yes you know, so all this, so I figure all this stuff going together would eventually mean like the best thing to do is just, you know, and I hate saying this, but I think directing is the is the most fun I would ever probably have because, you know, you get to make the things that you want to do, especially because, you know, you're interested in, in all these different facets that you want to put together. Yeah. Is this getting boring? Yeah. Uh, I... Yeah, so I think we should go. I think we should do the questions next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess so. See, and also the thing about my voice. Now I know that I'm talking like this, especially since Jake's not here. Since he's studying, I can, or he's at school. <laughs> either or, I can complain about this. Okay, so this is the problem with my voice. I just, I just keep having this huge, just issue with it like this. All right, so 
Whenever I talk normally, I sound like I sound like a nasally guy. Like when I talk like this, this is how I usually think I sound like. Actually, I think I sound like this, kind of like this. So, I wish I could just keep talking like this. This would be the most ideal voice that I could like to do. But the thing is, it's hard for me to articulate what I want to say, so I don't sound that intelligent. This is these are the things that I complain about. Anyway, digressing from that, um, okay, 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 so if you had enough fun listening to this so far, which I, I commend you for, because, you know, honestly, like, I think, because honestly, like, when I don't have anybody to talk to now, I've, I've finally realized this, I'm not as articulate or very good in my fact-checking when I'm doing it by myself, um, so I may sound a little, a little stupid, stupid, yes. Um, so, uh, I've managed to put in a little bit of my questions that I would want to tell you. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you've probably answered some of them already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do a current thing about the podcast right oh, now. Oh, oh, Okay, okay. Uh, we have some questions. Uh, yes. Oh, that's right. We actually had people actually asked you guys to send me some questions. I'm just did it on Facebook privately, you know, as friends. I'm sorry if didn't get, didn't tell anybody else about this maybe i'll do another one of these later on and it won't be as boring but uh you know i got some questions so i might have to answer them why not i think this is a good idea we got some good questions here by the one and only frank Ireland, and i would like to answer those plus kirk shelton and other people good stuff let's see so frank says yes i am ready the first one is what did you think of the cinematography in Godzilla, the 2014 movie? Oh, man, I forgot to mention that. That's exactly what I... See, in our review, um, we're just spontaneous. We're doing this mostly for entertainment purposes. And, you know, the reason why... We just want to share some insight on our uh, on our basic thoughts on the thing. So it's not like a professional thesis on it. We're not Mark Kermode, who's like this insane, articulate person who's been doing this for who knows how many decades. He's just been reviewing movies on and off and we we can't we can't possibly get up to there we can't summarize our thoughts in such speed and precision as he does but i did leave this out and i i'm sorry i wanted to thank you for reminding me i wanted to mention this yes so godzilla the 2014 movie look i enjoyed that movie okay it's an, it was like i said it was adequate but the thing is i'm not saying that to say anything bad about the filmmakers or their intention i think they did a great job for what they've done okay um i think what they did with godzilla is exactly what i wanted to do with the you know i wanted to make a godzilla movie and i wanted to do this and i again i have to stress i i felt like james cameron when he was in that truck doing truck driving business in 1977 and he saw star wars and he said someone did it before me so that's sort of the emotion that i feel about it it's all right i'm over it i'm i'm pretty cool this is gonna happen many many more times and i'm i'm getting conditioned to to accept this sort of fate so anyway what they did with the cinematography is really nice i forgot to mention this the the cinematography on this uh i I'm afraid I forgot who the director of photography was on that, but I want to say that it, there. I have to mention this because it's a big difference from the other movies that I've seen this year, at least. Uh, and I'm I'm sorry, like I will touch on talking about movies that I like watching and the ones that I consume, uh, because there's something to be you know said about you know my choices of films, you know, because 
Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go on that later. But right now, I just want to say cinematography was great. I liked the brown hues and the, the gray tone. It felt like, um, it felt uh, very serious and it felt very natural. And uh, they used a lot of soft lights and they really got, got a nicer look than most films that came out this year or last year or the year before. Just very nice. I just forgot to mention this and thank you for reminding me, Frank. I just forgot that one. It's a lot nicer in the eyes. And also the way they shot the film. Um, I was... In February, I said that the cinematography will probably be lots of shaky cam, and I'm going to partially veto this because uh, that's not true. There's a lot of scenes that were really good when, you know, individually, when Godzilla comes out of the water, especially with that tail and the intensity of that when you're in the school bus. And I love that they actually used uh, the perspectives of uh, real life places like from the bottom from like or a helicopter nothing unrealistic however the thing is see like no one's gonna believe me but I wanted to do the same thing and they did it first so still that's how it should have been done and they did it they did it excellent so the other question is what film had the most impact on you and now Phil that's an interesting question because it's hard to pinpoint this just as it's hard for me to pinpoint the time where I went oh, I want to make films um, there's a lot of movies uh, that impacted me on various levels as works of art do um, but I will say I can't really tell you on storytelling or on or, or like sort of just generally emotional inspirational ways uh, but I gather a lot of uh, a lot of tonal ideas from many movies I watch and they are varied and various um, but I will say that I can tell you clearly on a visual style for some stupid reason I always keep um, subconsciously gravitating towards the 1998 Blade movie and I don't know why it's not for me it's not that amazing of a movie I enjoy it but I know why some other people wouldn't enjoy it and that's completely fine and I'm not you know I'm not gonna ever recommend it for many people but I think it's I, th I think it's fine I think it's a you know all right middle of the road kind of <laughs> movie and it paved the way for future comic book films since um but there's this uh, visual language that Stephen Norrington, the director, uses that I always keep imitating, and that's just subconsciously. Like, when we made this movie in 2006 called Midnight Plague, which was sort of like this original movie that we made set in a post-apocalyptic city um, with a sort of dirty, hairy kind of renegade sort of uh, a hitman who says one-liners a lot, which was really cheesy, and we didn't realize that it was at the time. Um, I always took cues from the Blade movie with uh, the way the movie was shot, which is usually long lenses, so it's zoomed in all the time. It looks very, very, very grid-like and linear and straightforward and stuff like that. And there's always there's also other movies such as, you're going to have to say The Matrix, which is one of the one of those big ones that I could really easily tell you that have been influential in many different ways. But... It's so hard for me to actually pinpoint which ones were or which ones weren't. Now, And I also know that when I talk about movies, I will always mention these big blockbusters that aren't particularly um, 
you know, groundbreaking in terms of telling a story or in terms of having a, a strong theme to it or being as, you know, artistically meticulous as other movies such as, you know, you know, mostly drama pictures or movies of that other nature. I want to, I want to continue talking about that in, in a bit, but, but, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, uh, I know that people will probably think that my taste in films, uh, are, it's a little bit, uh, a little, a little bit McDonald'sy <laughs> to, to put it that way. Cause you know, the movies that I usually buy, you know, like the, my favorite movies are the movies that I usually buy on DVD that I enjoy watching. And, um, the thing to, to say about that in my defense is that I realize many of these films that I enjoy watching aren't exactly the pinnacle of artistic brilliance, but I just really, really like watching them. So like, let's say I have the X-Men films, like X-Men 1 and 2, and I like Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, I like uh, the Star Wars movies, I like Indiana Jones, I like all these sort of, they feel very vanilla right now, in my opinion. They feel sort of vanilla and sort of the, the, the general audience four-quadrant thing that people like, but uh, I can't help, and yeah, you know, Lord of the Rings, that was a pretty big one when it came out in 2001. But it's just so difficult for me to, you know, like, I know many friends who will be saying, like, Seventh Seal, uh, the Colors Trilogy, the Seven Samurai, oh, there's so much Seven, um, or, like, The Shining, or, like, the whole the whole Stanley Kubrick Library, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, stuff like that. And, look, you know, I've seen them, and I appreciate their artistic expressionism, <laughs> And I, I completely understand why they're always being rated so high. I understand this, but like for me, that's just, it's hard for me to like, on like on a filmmaking level, let's say, I, I completely understand them. But when I like watching movies, I like watching movies that have an overall story, that have a very, that, you know, that push the boundaries that these other artists, these, you know, these big auteur films do. Um, but in the, in the, you know, in the spirit of adventure and the, in the way to make epic stories that will, you know, that sort of broad strokes of, I don't know, I'm just rambling now. I just, I hope, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. So anyway, that's that. Um, and then, and okay, so I'm sorry, this is only the second question. It's only the second question. Okay. Okay. Now, if, now the other question is, if you could work with any actor, who would it be? All right, so this is a good question because he said, because Frank also said, or is it an unknown? Now, this is another really interesting thing because first and foremost, I love to see unknown actors come into being, the, you know, like I've never had experience auditioning actors. I hope to, I hope to break that. I hope that will change soon. But from my collective uh, academic experience from studying these sorts of procedures, I would imagine that it's really exciting to be able to see someone you don't know deliver such a good performance based on the based on the character that you've created on the script on the you know in the script and in the story and then just going yes and then and then and then knowing you have this performer that you can show to everybody and then they will totally believe it's the character. So that's why I always like unknown actors because then you see a new face and you will believe it's the character and then after that movie's done they'll be back because 
they delivered a good performance and they will probably hopefully get more work and then you'll then they'll become the next star that's what i like but that aside i appreciate all the big actors and i understand why they're all up there and earning an ungodly sum of money for what they're doing um based on that fact alone i don't really have anybody i would want to work with but the funny thing is when i watch behind the scenes documentaries and i see interviews and i see how they're working on these sets there's a few people that i really would be interested in working with just because of their work ethic and how much they put into bringing a character to life um recently i've been i just watched one little video one tiny little video i think it was a year or two ago um it was like 30 seconds long on youtube and it was just someone with a video camera uh, who caught this actor in the backyard somewhere at, at something, just wearing an oral baseball cap and uh, just in you know casual attire, and asked him what he thought of the director he was working with at the time for this project that they were that they, that was just released, and uh, he said he said some really nice things about this director and about how they're willing to work on it and. It was just like 30 seconds long, and I really liked how he said it and how into wanting to work with someone who was passionate about, like, movies and stuff. If he, you know, it made me really want to be interested in sort of having him being in a movie. And the funny thing is that it's, it was Michael Fassbender, and it was very interesting to me. It was just, it's because, like, whenever I see him in movies, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, Michael Fassbender. But if he wanted to be in a movie, that would be kind of, that would be really nice, because I know exactly what he'll bring to the table in terms of his uh, work ethic. So that was one of the most recent things that I, that was sort of one of the little things that I had a spark of inspiration to it. But then there's so many other people who I would also want to work with just because of the same sort of reason, because they're, you know, they're really dedicated people. And I would love to see what they would, you know, with their creativity, see what they would change or want to, or their angle on whatever character uh, I would ask them to play in a movie I would potentially want to make. And there's like a lot of them, but this one was the most recent one. But there's like, like, for example, I... I, th- I think Anthony Hopkins would be great. Not just, and the funny thing is, again, it's not because of the movies he's been in, which you know he's a good actor. You can obviously tell he's been in so many movies. You know, it's it's you can't even count it with your fingers. But it's just because of all the things I always liked how he, his attitude towards uh, acting, and I really liked the way he was very nonchalant about it, and very, and I liked his thought process and opinions on on acting, and I. And there's and there's other other actors like him that I would obviously like to work with and all that stuff. So it's it's, it's a little complicated sort of thing, you know. But it's it, it depends, you know. I mean, it's not like if I were uh, to have a project that I would want to make right now, there wouldn't be anybody like that I would instantly sort of go for. Does that sort of answer the question? I'm so sorry. This is taking so long. So, Philip, what is your favorite animated movie? Well. My favorite animated movie. Again, just like if someone would say, what's your favorite movie? You can't tell, I can't tell you what my favorite movie is. There's so many movies that I like. And the ones that I like, I buy. Uh, but I don't think I'm a very good uh, reference point for movies that uh, you should like, that you would probably be amazed at because everybody has their own tastes. Um, I can just tell you which ones I like in general. So let's say I would say someone says, should I watch The Matrix? And I'll be like, yeah, you should watch The Matrix. Awesome. I like it a lot. One of my favorite movies. You see, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, And if they, you know, and then they say, okay, I'll take your word for it. If they liked it, they'll be like, hey, I kind of liked it. 
nice. Or if they said, I was so blown away by this amazing film, and I would be like, nice. And then, but even if they said, yeah, I didn't get it, I'd be like, all right. You know, I mean, it's like that, that, that's what it is for me, you know, but then there's personal opinion. And then there's also, uh, the shake your road, which is, does the movie have like sort of any sort of important merit outside of that? Because obviously like if someone said, uh, let's say just for an example, the Lone Ranger is one of the best movies of 2013 or like, it's so awesome. I see I would get annoyed at that you see like that's 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 sort of it's, it's kind of strange it might be hypocritical but but let's just say if someone said that they enjoyed the Lone Ranger something like that something more something more civil just saying I quite enjoyed the Lone Ranger and I said all right you know cool I, I don't want them to not enjoy it because that's kind of that would be stupid that'd be asinine so with animated movies uh I liked I like a lot of animated movies ha <laughs> And I can't say which one's my favorite because, believe it or not, perceptions and tastes keep changing gradually over time. Uh, but um, but I will say that as a kid, Lion King was the king of animated movies for me back when I was a child. I used to watch it a lot. And the effect of watching it so often on VHS is that I can is that I would love to be able to go and to have a movie night where we mute The Lion King and just quote the movie and see how far we can go with quoting the entire thing. So what is the, what would you say, I remember, I, I hear that you were complaining a little bit about uh, how much uh, traction this podcast is getting. So you, I, from what I hear, you wanted to, you sort of reached out to some people that you mentioned on your previous one with the the one, the, the one episode where you mentioned all these oh, people. Oh, yeah, the tribute one where we were being really nice uh-huh. about everybody and we were trying to... Yeah, where we mentioned all the, some yeah, other people. Where we mentioned, yeah, all, the people. We mentioned all the people. Um, yeah, uh, I sent a few emails to some people that uh, I mentioned, we, we mentioned, and uh, not that I got a reply or anything, you know, it's been a week or two, but there was one where I was listening to one of the podcasts that I mentioned, and uh, that podcast uh, actually... To my surprise, while I was drawing and you know doing some other stuff while listening to the podcast, they started talking about oh, these two guys. Did you did you see like you know they were talking to each other and they were saying like Did you see that? Did you see those two guys? They they mentioned us. Yeah, yeah, that was that was cool, wasn't it? Yeah, um, but that that's about the extent that it was. They just mentioned us as guys and stuff like that, which is some kind of a little bit of a topic I wanted to also talk about, maybe complain about too. It's that um, there's a difference between uh, friends and fans, I would probably want to say. And uh, the thing is, not that I have any fans, like, you know what I mean, quote-unquote fans, like, uh, but uh, I think there is a distinction from the experience that I've had talking to people who like the work that I did uh, that was recent, you know, and obviously not those little kids' movies that we did when we were small, which, by the way, we're, I'm still trying to make a little wiki page with all the movies that we've done as children so if you by any chance will be able to watch one of these little short no budget movies that we made in our backyard i will have an outline of the plot there on that wiki so you can actually see that most of our ideas weren't that bad which is why i still believe in some of them that they still could have potential for a real thing which i'm still working on i'm still i'm still trying to write that stuff down uh the difference between fans here's one of the things so this podcast mentioned us, but they didn't mention us by name. <laughs> they didn't mention us uh, in any way, shape, or form. They didn't, uh, 
you know, they didn't blink anything, even though we sort of mentioned them by name and, you know, it's talked about how cool they were. <laughs> well, you know, how mentioned them, yes. So it just makes me, you know, makes me know a little bit of the experience that I've had with other people who you know, have their own shows on YouTube and stuff like that. It's not like a syndicated show, like a real show that's, um, you know, on TV or anything, which I can understand that, you know, there's a lot of people working on those. But uh, when there's other people who are doing their individual shows, like, for example, this podcast or whatever we're doing, um, it's that they like to, uh, I don't want to say pretend, but they like to treat uh, their feedback as if the feedback came from people who were sort of someone you don't want to interact with for whatever reason. You just want to interact with them on a fan base, which is fine, completely fine if that's what you want to do. You know, you don't want to get some annoying people you know, bothering you all the time. But <laughs> I just feel like in this sort of stage that you're in, like uh, popularity-wise, and if you're checking your own emails and everything, I feel like uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little unfair, maybe, you know. And so... Um, like, in my case, whenever I get some really nice letters about that Lord of the Rings audiobook that I did, which is on a bridge, by the way, mm-hmm. with sound effects and music, music by Howard Shore and sound effects mixed by myself. Whew, that was, that was, that was a project, not 2010 to 2013. Anyway, more about that later, probably. When I get letters like this, the thing is I don't get that many, you know, that's, that's one of the facts of life. I always try to send a message back that is nice, that is uh, personal, you know, and in case they want to talk to me some more, they're definitely welcome to. And I know that this is because we don't have that many, and I know that when too much goes into the pipeline when it comes to other people who have their own shows on YouTube or whatever, it does get overwhelming and you can't, it's just impossible, humanly impossible to reply to them in that sort of personal level whatsoever but in my case I do the same thing in a way I say thank you very much all that sort of stuff and I don't encourage feedback but I definitely welcome it I definitely welcome correspondence and funny thing is I've, I've made some friends out of that as well fans became friends and the difference between that in my opinion is that there are people that I follow and uh, that I'm not necessarily friends with and I'm fine keeping it that way because there's nothing that I'd rather further want to pursue (laughs) such as a marriage no such as um, in terms of uh, relations just that I want to follow their work. And I would easily comment on some of their work and they would just say, hey, thanks, you know, and they will remember me. Or they don't have to either. I'm, that's The whole point is just that I like their work and I just want to remember them by it. So it kind of makes me a little bit sad that, uh, you know, some some people just sort of get a message like, oh, that's cool, oh, cool, and just go away without sort of any further sort of research on it because I always think that there is still potential to make connections and be friends with people even at random times such as that. You do feel a little bit discouraged when people just sort of pile it on and just say, oh, remember those guys? Yeah, those guys talked about us once and that's it. You know, instead of saying, oh yeah, Phil and Jake, we did blah, 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 they talked about it. You know, uh, if I've done that in the past, I'm very sorry. I don't like that kind of social etiquette very much because I feel like it's impersonal, especially on the level of uh, 
operation that the person who I'm contacting is on. You know what I mean? Like, for example, as opposed to other people who are more famous and get much more, get much more traffic towards them than usual. But you know, it's a little, it's a little, it's it's you know, would have been nicer. Would have been nicer. We'll see what the future holds, but uh, that's sort of a little thing that I get a little disappointed with, you know, just sort of piling it onto the editions of fans without giving it a chance to sort of look at it and analyze what's going on. I definitely do that with everybody who talks to me. And uh, just so you know, just so you know, and if I don't talk to you, you may talk, you may freely contact me again. Hmm? Just so you know. Right. So, let's see what else we have here. Well, well, well. But yeah, all the other kinds of animated movies I've seen. There's uh, quite a few nice ones that I liked. Um, so, so let's just start with some questions here. I got some quite important questions, which I feel like we should begin with. So, one of the first questions is, What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? And by that... Someone forgot to specify if they meant an, a European or an African swallow. So I'm afraid I can't really answer that. I can't answer that. And then Kirk Shelton asked me, what, what is your favorite famous Phil? Well. Well. Um, Phil, Phil, Phil Hartman? I, I, no, I don't know. Like, there's a Philip Seymour Hoffman Phil... I don't know. I, 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 I like me. I think I'm pretty cool. <laughs> and then here's a loaded question. What inspires my art? What inspires... I don't know. Oh, man. Look, it's just it's been so long already. It's like an hour 23. I don't know how long this thing's going. Doing it alone is kind of hard. Yes, I agree with you. And it doesn't help when it starts getting hotter. Well, I would just say, um... Well, what inspires me is just seeing something that I haven't seen before in the way that I probably would like it to look like. I think that's the best way to, to explain that. I would like to talk more about this sort of thing, but I mean, I feel like if I'm doing it by myself is pretty difficult, and I've been spending two days already trying to do it myself, and it's just so hard. I just can't believe it. It's just, oh boy. So, I was going to do like accents, like all these voices, and guess what? I just, I can't do it. Not this time, maybe next week. Someone's going to have to ask me to do that once before, because specifically I didn't get any questions for it. So, um, places I've traveled. Well, I've traveled. I and Jake have... Actually, you know what? I think we're going to keep that one for next time. Jake and I can talk about that, because wherever I've traveled, I've only traveled to one or two places where Jake hasn't been into. Um, and, uh, I probably already talked about that before, so I think it's a good idea to keep that for later so we can talk with Jake. And places I'd like to go? Well, that's another good one where I'd like to talk with Jake about that, who's still busy doing school stuff. But by the time Transformers comes out, I think, uh, we'll be, we'll be pretty free, and it'll be a horrible summer, as it still is. And we'll have more time then. And of course, last but not least, I guess someone wants me to do a Gary Oldman accent. That's the funny thing. As I said before, I was talking about uh, Michael Fassbender. I totally forgot to say this, but I had a few dreams where I met Gary Oldman and I wanted him to be in my movies and stuff. So weird. It was like two or three of them. And those weren't in a row. Those were like scattered uh, from a few months and years. And Because he's really good. He's very 
he's a very uh, chameleon-esque uh, actor, and I really like that. I really, I really think that's pretty cool. So, uh, accent, like, he can do so many accents, I just can't, I remember, okay, this is a funny story, I remember, uh, I was on a plane in 1997, at least I think it's 1997, when The Fifth Element came out, so it's already on airline video, and you could watch it, you had the option of watching that, so when I was, so when I was there, I don't know where we were going, but I knew that I was watching Fifth Element, and on the titles, I read Gary Oldman, and, um, being a being an eight-year-old i thought that that meant someone who's old and i was like where's this old man where's this old man so i mistook ian holm who was in fifth element for gary oldman because he's the old man and then and then there was like this bonus material sort of like featurette about gary oldman and his acting chops and everything and it still says Gary, and I thought, and I was wondering, why is his name Old Man? Why is he an old man? He's not old. Back in 1997. And then another weird thing happened when I watched Lost in Space, which came out in 1998, and now, in my head, all I could think of was, I mixed up Ian Holm with Gary Oldman from Lost in Space, so now I thought that Gary Oldman played two characters in Fifth Element. So weird. Sorry, that was a weird random ramble that I just trailed off into, like I usually do. So anyway... The only thing I can think about that Gary Oldman would be saying is, um, Has Ruba talking and saying the yoga spot? Something like that. <laughs> I think this is a lot better when someone else is with me and I can talk. So, I'm sorry about this. I know that this week, uh, starting it off really strong with just myself talking, but I hope you gain some insight on some stuff that I like doing, some filmmaking things, and um, hopefully uh, I'll be able to talk more about some filmmaking projects that I used to have, or I had, or I wanted to do, that I can't do. There's still some stuff that I want to do that I'm still able to do, unless some news arises that I can't, which, you know, was the case for X-Men 4, which happened, and I, you guys probably heard me talking about that, which I would love to uh, sort of just detail a little bit and talk about what we planned to have in that story and, you know, that film. So I hope I can get Luke Coons to just join me as we sort of just go through memory lane and talk a little bit about that X-Men 4 story. Because I think it, it does hold a pretty good candle. It has a pretty strong uh, backbone. And uh, this is just 40 minutes or so uh, shorter than our typical podcast, which are starting to look like they're going to keep running it for two hours. And again, I should have provided some musical interludes, but I'm just so lazy and it's kind of hard in my case because all the music that I like listening to is something like jazz and primarily classical music and orchestral music from films. And uh, as you all know, that's kind of hard to get a hold of without... Uh, breaking copyright uh, law or like what we've done before in some podcasts is underlining some background music which we didn't emphasize and it's for less than 30 seconds or very minute that you can't really hear it something like that um so without having to ramble any further yeah um i would love to talk about that story and see if you probably might think that we might have a had a had a chance. I mean, it's like Newt. When Newt came out, not Newt as in Carrie Hen from Aliens, but Newt as in the Pixar animated movie, they said that they canceled and then they showed some concept art. And everybody was going, oh, wow, such amazing. This would have been such a good movie. Hopefully we'll do the same with X-Men. You can be like, oh, man, that would have been pretty cool. 
At least that's a hope. We'll see what happens. Sometime next week or the week after, we can just get Luke along here and, you know, sort of just take a little bit, like 40 minutes or so, just talking about our concept. And, you know, the thing about me is, like I said, making films, in my opinion, is that um, I don't like writing scripts and I don't like writing uh, that that sort of uh, direct narrative. I like talking about the story. I like talking about what the characters will be doing and how the story will develop but I don't like going into the script and actually writing the you know the the shooting script, the one that people will have with the dialogue. Because for me, dialogue is just difficult. I just I don't like it. And as for future things, I'm really, really seriously going to start working on a short film project. And I would love for some people who are listening to probably uh, maybe have some interest in it and everything. And I'm revealing it right now. It's a uh, it's going to be a pretty cool little short action movie that probably might take place in the Middle Ages. Will it be successful? Will we be able to do this? Will we be able to pull it off? Hopefully so. So, um, with that little hint, I guess I think that's, that's all. That's all I can talk about for now. I'd love to talk more about myself, but I don't think this part will be very interesting for anybody, so we'll go back to scheduled programming on next Monday. Hey, I think we have a schedule. It's going to be Monday. Sorry I didn't talk about any of my other projects that I usually uh, have done, especially recently, which was this unabridged Lord of the Rings audiobook uh, extravaganza, I guess, with sound effects and music and all that stuff. But there's a lot to talk about, and so I just felt like this would be a nice little introduction in case you didn't know who I was in a way. Maybe you'll gain a little bit more insight now. So, um, yeah, filmmaking. It's really great. I like it a lot. Mujer ingrata, ¿por qué no me amas? Tú eres mi vida, mi bienestar. Dame un abrazo, dame un besito, vente conmigo, vamos a andar. Ya las gaviotas tienden su vuelo y abren sus alas para volar. Andan buscando nidos de amores, nidos de amores encontraron. 